Welcome back to Faith FM. You are listening to The Breakfast Show with Lyle and Mon. And it is now time for our encounter with God, our 20 million movement. There's 20 million other people around the world all doing this study, the study guide on Acts that we have at the moment. We are now officially officially a third of two-thirds of the way through uh, we have one month to go and then we have a new study guide i want do you know what the new study guide's about uh yeah i got a bit of a rough idea what is it uh, i'm trying to remember no i don't remember but okay. i do have a rough idea well, somewhere you- in my somewhere in my subconscious there is a memory of uh what our new one's going to be about well while you have a think about that i'm going to give the next clue for the quiz okay are you ready for this this is clue number three who am I? Hebrews says that I reasoned that God could raise the dead. Hmm. Hmm. Very interesting. Give us a call if you know the answer, who that is. 1-800-FAITH-FM. Yeah, you should be able to know who this one is. Come on, guys. Who, who, who really needed to have faith that God could raise the dead? Mm-hmm. 1-800-324-843. We'll send the prize if you know who it is. For whom would a promise of God have been broken if God was unable to raise the dead? I guess that's all of us, isn't it? I think you're making it a little bit harder. Yeah, to <laughs> I'm not helping, am I? Just ignore Lyle, everyone. And uh <laughs> yeah, but I'm not thinking about Jesus right here. I'm thinking about you know. Mm, I know the story you're thinking story. about. I know you're thinking, but I don't think they're going to be thinking about that story. It's an interesting one because it's a story that atheists often throw at me. I'm going to have to shut up here. Yeah, but uh, it's a story that atheists it's often throw at me. It's a hard one to swallow because atheists never read Hebrews 11. Mm-hmm. And Hebrews 11 is the answer right there. And, and as soon as you explain it, it's like, oh. Maybe mm. we should do it as question of the day one time because it is a curly story. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is your question of the day today, by the way? Uh, I'll tell you when we get there, Lyle. No, I'll give us a preview because no, the, the, the no. people need to stay tuned. No, people have been on social media and have checked it out. If you haven't, that's on you, son. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go and look it up right now. No, don't look it I'm up. I'm going to spill the, the reason, beans. The reason I'm not telling you is because it's actually very, very long. In fact, I have it open in front of me already. Oh, See, my goodness. Can you summarise it into like a sentence? Uh, or look, give us I a did, hint as to what it's about? I did try and summarise it and post it into a thing. But what I can tell you is it is a follow-up question to yesterday's question of the day. Oh, I had a follow-up to yesterday's question. came through on my uh, messenger as well. Oh really? Maybe yeah. we can combine them. Maybe we'll see. But yeah, we had a, we had someone who sent in a message through Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, who asked a uh, not just a follow up question, but like a bunch of follow up questions. So we're going to continue okay, with we'll yesterday. We just start at the top of the list then and see work how our far way we through. Get. See yeah, how far we yeah, get. Yeah, yeah. We'll take out the we'll take out the rest of the show just doing Q and the D. But yeah, so stay tuned. We do have question of the day. If you up. have a question that you would like to ask, just give us a call. One 843 is our number, or text us zero four nine one zero. 064669 or send us a messenger on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, which mm-hmm. has been our most popular for getting questions. Um, I want to say probably Insta, actually. Really? Yeah. There you go. Well, did you know? Do you know, I don't. Insta's re- going off. I, I I only have the capability of posting on Facebook. I don't actually have the capability to look on Facebook. So if there's something happening, I've been on Facebook, getting a few coming sure. through by messenger. Have you been getting some come through by messenger? I have a lot coming through, uh, just over phone calls or to my face. Okay. When I meet people out out and about, and they ask yeah. me questions, and so I store them away. So yeah, I get quite a few coming that way as well. Yeah, cool. Well, there you go. Yeah. If you if you if you are walking down the street and and you see Mon coming in the other direction, <laughs> Ask me that's your opportunity to get your question of the day in. Indeed. Come to my waffle breakfast every Sabbath morning, every Saturday morning we have a free waffle breakfast and you're welcome to join us. Cool. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
we are in the, the book, book of Acts. Acts. I was about to say we're in the book of Athens, but we're not in the book of Athens. Oh, we I'd are love to the- be in Athens right now. Can you <laughs> imagine doing a live show from Athens, Lyle? Yeah, we'll just set up our little uh, studio in a suitcase that I've got all mapped out in my head uh-huh. um, on top of the Acropolis right there. Oh, we could do it. We Give people a, uh, a word picture of everything that we are looking at. Uh-huh. would be so amazing. No, we don't have to give them a word picture. We want to take them with us. This is going to be our Axe World Tour. And, of course, we, we, could, we could live stream it through uh, oh, absolutely. Instagram, post it on absolutely. TV. Uh, all that. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So, what have we got today? We are in the book of Acts chapter 17, and we were down in verse 22. We were talking about... Paul as he arrives in Athens. And we looked at the fact that Athens was a small city. Mm -hmm. It was a center of education and the arts. Yes. Okay, so this wasn't your big commercial hub that you've got in, say, places like Corinth. Uh Uh, This is a small city. It is known for... Think tank. A think tank. Mm -hmm. And basically Greek philosophy. Now, of course, Greek philosophy is very famous. Greek mathematics is very famous. Uh, a lot of what we have today in our world as far as science, Greek science was very famous. Mm-hmm. So the whole process of uh, evolution, the whole concept of evolution came out of uh, Greek mythology. The whole process of, um, you know, getting together and, and, you know, the secular versus the religious debates that we have today all mm-hmm. existed back then. Everything that, you can, everything that exists in the world right now. As and far as discussions taking place amongst thinking men and women, took place in Athens back then. And we discovered that although they you know, made great headways with mathematics and so forth, they didn't, like, for all their thinking, they weren't really able to think up anything, um, you know, solid. <laughs> it was all quite ridiculous the way they, you know, had all these different gods that they worshipped, just, you know, one to cover everything kind of a thing. And they even had uh, a shrine to an unknown god. Okay, so let's just talk about this shrine to the unknown god for a moment. This was the basic thought. You had two groups, and we're just going to summarize this from yesterday. You had two groups of, you know, two basic groups of Greek society, those who were more superstitious, who tended to be the poorer classes and who followed the uh, the Titan and Greek, uh, the Titan and Olympian Greek gods. Mm-hmm. And she had all these different gods who fought amongst each other. They were worse than humans. Um, they slept around. They did terrible things. They committed terrible crimes and uh, sometimes did good things as well. Yeah. Okay, so that was that was your Greek gods and they would worship those gods in various ways. It's always astounding me that they would be willing to worship someone so imperfect and horrendous. Then they recognized that somewhere out there these gods had to have an origin because all of these gods have an origin story. Mm-hmm. And so where did they come from? And so they recognized that somewhere out there there was a god that they didn't actually know about mm-hmm. who was seen as the creator of all things, the originator of all things. Yep, yep. In the higher levels of society, they were more atheistic. Mm-hmm. They saw the various Greek gods as a personification of the force of nature rather than actually being individuals who wandered around in the sky. Mm-hmm. And so they saw the you know, personification of the forces of nature and so forth. And what they recognized was a higher power. They recognized that there was a higher power in the universe that they could not explain and they could not discover. Uh-huh. And so both groups of society came together on this concept of the unknown God. So the unknown God was the higher power. Mm-hmm. This wasn't just a altar that was there for in case there was a God that was missing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This was an altar that was there for this particular God who they did not know, the unknown God. Yeah, uh-huh. okay. And so when Paul turns up, he's like, hey, guys, 
I'm here to tell you about the unknown God. That would have sparked I know the unknown God. Yeah. He's a friend of mine. Yeah, that's attention grabbing. Let me tell you all about him. Mm -hmm. And it was unique that the city of Athens actually had this altar because, you know, other cities didn't have an altar to the unknown God because it was just like, well, it didn't didn't seem relevant to them. But the deep thinkers had come to this conclusion, yes, there is a force out there somewhere that we can't find, we can't explain, and so we're going to worship this particular force. Um, you know, they, they definitely believed in it, but they just couldn't They couldn't put their finger on it. It almost seems a bit silly to worship something that you don't know what it is. There's almost like a bit of foolishness to that. I'm going to worship and, and Paul this, says, you know, no professing themselves is, to be wise, they became fools. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. does say that, particularly in relationship to, you know, uh, postmodern Greek culture. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and secular religious uh, Greek culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which, is, which is what we have in our, which is the, what, exactly what we have in our world today. Yeah. And so, you know, Athens really did personify that whole concept of, you know, professing themselves to be wise, they became foolish, mm-hmm. was because this was where all of the thoughts of the whole world came together. You know, and they would invite people from, you know, right across the planet to come and to discuss their ideas there and to share backwards and forwards and to debate backwards and forwards. The fascinating thing is that Paul is the first missionary to go there and out of all of the early Christians, he was probably the most qualified to go head-to-head with these guys. Oh, yeah. Because of his upbringing and his education. So Paul had been raised, um, educated as a lawyer, a Jewish lawyer, uh, at the feet of Gamaliel. Um, in other words, he was a student and he was mentored by Gamaliel, who was the most famous of Jewish lawyers. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Jews were absolutely brilliant at law and still are. Mm-hmm. You know, this was an area that they really, really specialized in, and they were just masters at creating, you know, a, an effective and a powerful argument. And so Paul had learned this so that when he goes there to, you know, Mars Hill, he's not going there as a fisherman, he's going there as somebody who actually speaks their language. Oh, that's interesting. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Yeah, so you know how when you get uh, several people talking together and they all have a PhD in similar areas, yeah. and they start to st- to talk on a on a on a different level uh-huh, than the average uh-huh. you and I. Yeah, and then like you can't understand anything. Yeah, anymore. and it's, a, a little while <laughs> later, it sort of goes over your head, or you read one of these doctoral dissertations, and you know it's written in very academic mm-hmm, language. Mm-hmm. When you read, say, the writings of the Apostle John. And John is one of my favorite authors in the Bible. So you've got, uh, you know, the Gospel of John, you've got the Book of Revelation and the three letters of John. Yeah. So you've got five books there by John. What you find is that John was, he was a brilliant person, but he had a simple approach. Yeah. Whereas Paul could, when he wanted to, and a little bit too often in my opinion, and the Bible does, (laughs) have quite an academic approach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's less relational and more academic. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of that, you know, John may have been, you know, if John had been the first missionary to go there, he may have been just written off as a simpleton. Mm -hmm. Whereas Paul going there as someone highly educated, they could see, okay, this this guy actually knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. He actually gets it. Mm -hmm. You know, he's he's on our level. He's in our class. He's a peer. Mm -hmm. And he then frames his arguments 
in such a way that it will appeal to this very high level of Greek society. I actually love this about the Bible, that you can see the different personalities and characters of the writers coming through like that. You know, oh, you know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it, just, you know, it just reminds me that God will use you, no matter if you're an academic or if you're a simple fisherman. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, you, you look at, um, at John, who in many ways is so much more relational. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Than the academic Paul, yeah, and you see two different kinds of relationships with God. Mm-hmm. Often we try and define, you know, if you don't have this kind of a relationship with God, then your relationship with God is not valid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and okay, I'm just going to share one of my two cents here of um, of opinion. But what I think this is one of the reasons why, as Christians, we have a uh, a sixty forty split, gender split in our religion that no other religion has. Okay. Uh, so spirituality is not gender specific. Mm-hmm. It doesn't lean more towards one gender or another. Mm-hmm. Um, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism—you know—any of these religions have a fifty-fifty split mm-hmm. that mirrors the population of gender in the religion. Christianity has a sixty-forty split where you have, you know, sixty percent of of Christians are women and forty percent are men. And I believe that that's because we have, in the last hundred years, we have feminized Christianity by overdoing the relational aspect, doing away with you know what really appeals to men and how men relate to each other and mm-hmm. how men relate to God and how men you know build a relationship with God, which is very similar to the way that Paul did, which is much more academic. It doesn't in any way, shape or form do away with the relational aspect, but somebody who has a very academic approach to their relationship with God these days is really looked down on. Yeah, I'd, I'd 100% agree. I think um, the spiritual experience is being sort of um, discounted to be an emotional experience. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, and we get all touchy-feely and, you know, it's all in the feels and blah, 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 blah. And you think you can't have a relationship with God unless, like, you're experiencing this, like, emotional roller coaster when you get to church. And, you know, the and we communicate this to and men and the men, men don't respond that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a general rule. Yeah, you know, I've been to I've been to uh, you know the kind of churches where it's it's a very emotionally charged atmosphere and the women are all crying, and um, and then you know being a bit older now and looking back at that phase, I was like, well, of course, men, are, you know, there's going to be less men because what yeah, kind of man a, wants such to such a turn off for a, men in a room full of you know a lot of men, I should women. say, yeah, yeah, a lot of men. There's there's, there's lots of men that really <clears throat> um, appreciate that, and mm-hmm. I appreciate that too. And it's one of the things that I've found, you know, in the way that we worship. Every person worships God in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get some people who they go to church to worship God through music and singing. Yeah. And they endure the sermon. <coughs> uh huh. I'm the opposite. Can't wait for the singing to stop. Uh, I'm just like, <laughs> okay, can we all sit down and shut up so that we can actually start worshiping God? Yeah, yeah. You know, I endure <laughs> the singing so that I can enjoy the sermon. Uh huh, uh huh. People look down on that. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because... This and I hold my head with pride uh-huh. because, as a man, I stand up for men who appreciate mm-hmm. getting their teeth into some really academic um, aspects of understanding the details of Scripture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's how some men, a lot of men, yeah. I believe, actually draw close to God. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I do think this topic is a little bit of a Pandora's box. I mean, oh, just, yeah. just, just last weekend... Give us a call. Um, one of my Let's best, open it. 
one of my besties um, was asked to preach a sermon on on the single life, on singleness. <laughs> oh, there's another pang- Pandora's yeah. box. <laughs> Let's open yeah. them all up this morning. Yeah. You've got our number. And uh, and she called me for advice. Like, we're both single. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I said to her, look, you know, I don't like the fact that people these days often treat singleness as if it's some sort of disease that needs to be fixed. But I think if you want to do something about it, instead of like, you know, all these, you know, articles and books that are coming out now about, you know, you know, make Jesus your boyfriend, all these different like philosophies about it. I was like, do you know what? Just chuck them all out the window because I think we're fooling ourselves. The reason there's so many single Christian women is because there aren't enough single Christian men because we have this discrepancy with the numbers. It just makes mathematical sense that if you have way more women than you have men, then there's not going to be enough men to go around for the women. Okay, to guys, if you're listening in today and you are single and looking for somebody, go to church. And, and, that, and you're going to be outnumbered. And I think that's the solution. Like, if people are honestly, honestly, are looking for a solution to this single epidemic, do you know what? I honestly going to think that churches should um, funnel their 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 money and their efforts and their and their toil into doing outreach for men. Yeah, doing evangelism aimed back at men because we've been doing this whole you know uh, happy clappy emotional roller coastery woman thing for a while and uh, and it's worked look how many women we got mm-hmm. but uh but now they all want a husband and we're all wondering why and it's, do you know what I, I honestly don't think that's the bottom line yeah and we have all these churches that have uh um, women's ministries and yeah. i totally support women's ministries i'm gonna say you know we should be ministering to women but don't have any why don't we have men's ministries mm-hmm. because that's where the real problem is mm-hmm. you know yeah. that 60 40 split tells us that's where the actual mm-hmm. problem is yeah i'd love to see men's men's ministries pop up have like you know forward driving ministries and i don't know wood chopping ministries and men's <laughs> sheds and what you know car fixing stuff and you know we have all these women's stuff and i run a bunch of women's ones like you know craft club and that kind of thing and the ukuladies and that kind of thing but there needs to be the same amount and if not more right now for men we need to be reaching out to men because we're not yeah, and the other thing we do is we pitch church towards women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We pitch it in the way that we decorate the church. Mm-hmm. We pitch it in the way in the in the in the songs that we sing. Mm-hmm. You know, the songs that we sing. Use you, you think about go to church this weekend, right? Mm-hmm. And listen to the words and ask yourself: Are these the words the average bloke uses in conversation? <laughs> yeah, no. You know. Yeah. We talk about you know beautiful Jesus. Mm-hmm. Does the average bloke talk about? Some other bloke as beautiful, a beautiful bloke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, the songs that we sing, the way we decorate yeah. the church, uh-huh. everything we, everything is pitched towards. Yeah, you know, not everything. I shouldn't say that, but um, a lot of it is. We have got way yeah. off topic. But but this is the difference between like John and Paul, and you know, and we it is we need to have the balance. The Bible has balance. You know, our churches and our, and our outreach needs to have balance too. Absolutely, and we never used to have. You go back to the Great Reformation of the 16th century or something like that. We never had a sixty forty split. Yeah, that's you know, right. this is a modern phenomena mm-hmm. um, of the last hundred years, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, where somebody who has an intellectual relationship with God has been, you know, very much. Ostracized, yep. demonized, whatever you want to put it, mm-hmm. downplayed. And mm-hmm. I've met, you know, lots of people like, oh, yeah, you know, he's not a very spiritual guy, but he actually really is a very spiritual guy. He just doesn't wear it on his sleeve and wear it in an emotional way and yeah. talk about it all the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Men don't talk about, you know, their relationships and their emotions and these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Hey, give us a call, 1 800 Faith FM, yeah. if you want to have a. 
have a, a turn at putting your two cents in here this morning. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's get this Pandora's box open. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Maybe, I'll, I'll, maybe I need to write a, uh, a two cents article. Go on. Um, on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, on our Faith FM Facebook, I'm putting up um, some, yeah, some Lyle's two cents um, opinion pieces and hopefully going to make that a, uh, a regular feature. Hashtag Lyle's two cents. Yep, been mm-hmm. getting some good support for it. So um, if you want to know what's going through my mind, you will find it there. Where were we up to? Acts chapter 17. We need to read what the Bible says. Um, we'll go down to verse... Uh, let me see. We're going to read verse 22. We're going to start in verse 22 onwards, um, where Paul starts speaking about the unknown God. And then we're actually going to look at the argument that he builds. But before we do that... Let's listen to some Gavin Chatelier. Yeah, this guy is uh, part of our Faith FM team. He is indeed. A famous musician right across Australia. He's bringing to us all you're asking for. Just like the roses in the rain Your love will bloom in me and breathe you're asking for Oh Lord Like the rain You cleanse my soul Oh Lord Like a stream You flow through me Without you here, I know I'm nothing I need your love to make me whole All I do could never bring the life you give I need you here I need you, Lord Let no one come between our love Nothing else control my heart Only you, my Lord Oh, Lord Like the rain, you cleanse my soul Oh, Lord Like a stream Flow through me Like the rain, you cleanse 
burns my soul Oh Lord Like a stream You flow through me All you're asking for Welcome back, guys. That was uh, Gavin Chatalia, All You're Asking For, one of our Faith FM team. And so if you'd like to hear him live, give us a call and we can tell you where he will be singing next. And uh, you can go along and enjoy the amazing music that he creates. And while we were, while he was singing, we had a text message come, in, come through about our little sidetrack there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did it say here? Let me see here. Ooh. Uh, it's quite a controversial subject, this uh, this. The feminization of church, or the the emotionalization of church, and uh, and the and the role of men, and um, and the outreach to men as well. It's quite a hot topic at the moment. Okay, yep. Text message came through to say that was a great segment. So somebody oh. somebody enjoyed the fact that we uh, cool. got sidetracked. <laughs> Excellent. Acts chapter seventeen. Acts chapter Start seventeen. Start for us verse in twenty in verse twenty two. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, To an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. As Paul begins to speak here, he's actually presenting arguments that they are familiar with. Mm-hmm. So he has, um, you know, he's definitely come on, uh, he's found common ground with them. He's talking about the unknown God. And this is a description of the Greek unknown God that Paul is giving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is not just something like, yeah, we've got this here in case uh, there's a random God out there that we missed. No, 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 no. This is there specifically for this particular individual who is the, you know, the force behind the force, the, mm-hmm, the God mm-hmm. behind the gods, mm-hmm. um, and who is the originator and creator of everything. So he's, he's built common ground with them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, keep going. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Okay, so notice here. um, He quotes their stuff. He quotes their stuff. Mm. Everything that he's saying so far, all of the guys on Mars Hill are sitting there like, "Yep, uh huh, absolutely." Mm-hmm. You know, he 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 um he's he's referencing Greek philosophy and Greek beliefs right here. Mm-hmm. Even when he talks about, you know, there is there is a couple of things that uh, have a Jewish Christian background. You know, he says, you know, from one man, he mm-hmm. he, he made all of us. Yep. Some of the Greeks may have questioned that. But even though, you know, even in verse 27, though uh, that, that they should seek the Lord, um, even though he is not very far from every one of us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Once again, you know, to the Greek mindset, it's like, okay, how do you, how do you get around this? 
um, this is a uh, um, you know this is this is you know we, we understand that this is a god that we don't know, mm-hmm. but he has to be close here somewhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yes, he's he's building common ground here all the way through. All right, keep I'm going. super interested to see how this ends because this seems to be like a repeated pattern of uh, Paul going off or any of the disciples going off and preaching. They get to the end of like the recorded sermon, and then there's always like, how did the crowd react? Did they either all get baptized or do they try and kill the guy? Like, <laughs> it's one or the other. Yeah, it's usually, they try and kill the guy. <laughs> there's nothing in between. So I'm interested to see how this one goes down. Sure. Okay. And since this is truth, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. Okay, let's stop there for a moment mm-hmm. because what he's now ident- done is uh, he's, he, uh, he has identified himself as spiritual but not superstitious. Okay, yeah. So your very, very superstitious Greeks would identify their God through the idol that they have either in their home or in their village mm-hmm. or in their town or their city and they would actually worship the idol. Mm-hmm. Your less superstitious Greeks would say it's impossible to represent any of these gods with an idol that's made by human hands but this is a way of remembering this particular God. Mm-hmm. Your secular Greeks would say, okay, this is a way of um, personifying the force of nature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he has removed himself from you know, the superstitious level. Yeah. He has placed himself in the spiritual level, and this is much closer to where the Athenians are. Mm-hmm, okay. You know, they are spiritual but not religious. Mm-hmm. They are a mirror of postmodern secular religious society that we have today. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, let me keep reading. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. Okay, so now he starts to flip it. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, you, he, he's, not, he's not, and when he talks about their ignorance, mm-hmm. he's not saying this in a bad way or in a negative way. He's just saying, he's just saying, didn't saying you didn't know. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, God turned a blind eye to the things that you didn't know about, but now... God is revealing himself and he's going to tell you about it and he's going to reveal himself. For he, has, for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Oh, here we go, here we go. Here you go. That, now that's, that's going to be a struggle for the Greeks. Yes. For, your, for your superstitious Greeks, this is not a struggle. Uh-huh. Okay. But... Uh, but once again, he's not dealing with superstitious Greeks. Mm-hmm. He's dealing with secular spiritual Greeks. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, on, on Mars Hill. And so this one is going to be a struggle for them because this is not something that they can see. You know, for them, resurrection is not something that is, uh, doesn't, it doesn't follow the scientific method of being, you know, testable, repeatable, um, etc. Observable, yeah. Observable, testable, and repeatable. Mm-hmm. And so now he has moved into an area where he is asking them to believe in the resurrection of the dead. For a superstitious Greek, not so hard. Mm-hmm. Their legends are full of it. For a secular religious Greek, this is going to be more of a challenge. So now now the, uh, now the it's come through. All right. So let's see how they react. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, Dionysus, that one, yep, Dion, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is interesting because one of the most challenging groups in society are postmodern or secular religious people mm-hmm. uh, to reach with the gospel. And one of the most challenging aspects of the gospel for them 
is the resurrection. Nothing has changed from Paul's day to our day. Really? Absolutely. This is exactly the same as what you will face if you go out there and start talking in a uh, you know a, a postmodern concept context or a secular religious context where people are spiritual but not religious. The resurrection of the dead and God being a person that they can connect with um, as being like a real person, like a human being at some stage. You know, Jesus Christ, the concept of Jesus. You know, they like Jesus. And they like what he teaches. They like his philosophy. You know, they like what Jesus has done for the world. But they're not so keen on, you know, tying themselves to an individual. And particularly, you know, the virgin birth, the resurrection are two of the big uh, hurdles that they really struggle to get over. Interesting. Well, I think we might have to leave it there. But what's significant is here amongst the highest level of Greek Philosophers. Mm-hmm. There are people who give their lives to Jesus. Amen. Christ. It's true. Yeah, yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't ignore um, every level of society, educated, uneducated. We're going to continue this next week in the Book of Acts. But for now, I just want to leave you with one quick last clue for our quiz. It is a Who Am I quiz, and our next clue is: I believed God, and it was credited to me as righteousness. Mm. Mm. Very interesting. Who got credited with righteousness just because he believed in God? Give us a call if you know the answer. 1-800-FAITH-FM is our number. It's 1-800-324-843. It's also on the call if you have a question. Send us in your Bible questions. We love to field them.
enjoy fantastic food, fun, friends and fellowship? Sure do. Then join us at the Philos Food Hub. For $5, you can receive a large food pack with free fruit and veggies thrown in and a complimentary breakfast as well. Wow. Where? At the Multicultural Adventist Church on Newcastle Road in Wallsend, number 63. Is that the big iconic A-frame church near the roundabout? Sure is, and it starts at 10am every Thursday. Great. I'll see you there. know that fear and anxiety are the most common mental conditions in Australia. On average, one in four people will experience anxiety at some stage in their life. I'm David Stojic, counsellor and pastor of Living Abundantly Adventist Church. We are hosting speaker Danny Milenko to provide a scriptural perspective on this topic. Join us at 11am Saturday, September 8th at the Warburg Community Centre here in Newcastle and visit discoverhopeseries.com for more information. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Welcome back to Faith FM. You are listening to Lyle and Mon on The Breakfast Show. I'm going to give you one last clue for this quiz and then we need to launch into our question of the day as quick as possible because it is a big one today. So who am I? This is very easy. Sarah was my first wife. Oh, who is Sarah's husband? Give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. Now, Lyle, mm-hmm. today's question, as I mentioned earlier, is a follow-on to yesterday's questions. Yesterday's question was that hypothetical, like, you know, if someone uh, falls off a ladder and swears as they're falling down and, and dies um, and the last action was a swear word, even though they were a good Christian their whole life, you know, do they go to, do, are they saved? And uh, you unpack that for us, and that is now up on all our God is not now. willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is the attitude of God towards sin. Indeed. He's in the business of getting people in, not trying to find reasons to keep them out mm-hmm. um, of heaven. And then we had a message come through from Jasmine uh, in Queensland, uh, and uh, she messaged via Instagram, and she said, I have a question that goes along with today's question of the day. God, So God isn't going to let someone die while they still have opportunity to repent. What about babies who die? What happens to them? They're too young to be able to understand and repent. And if they had grown to be adults, they may have been converted. I've heard that parents are responsible for their children's salvation until they're old enough to make their own decisions. But what happens for very young children or miscarried babies of non-Christians? They've never been given the chance to make a choice. Will they be resurrected? That's a really good question you've asked there, Jasmine. And I'm going to look at a couple of different principles of the Bible just to unpack that a little bit. And the first one that I'm going to look at is the passage that is found in James chapter 4 and verse 17. So let's turn over there very quickly. James 4. James, down there, Revelation, back up a little bit. James chapter 4, here we go, verse 17. The Bible says, Therefore to him that knows to do good and does it not or doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Mm-hmm. So the Bible is very clear for something to be sin, for something to be an act of sin. It means, needs to be something that you actually know that this is wrong. Yeah. So my question to you is, does an unborn child or a newly born child know when something is wrong? No, it wouldn't. No, that's impossible. No, that's ridiculous. He's not going to know if he's right or wrong. He doesn't, even, doesn't really have consciousness yeah, that much. Of course. Does does a, 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 a newly born child or even you know an unborn child, a miscarried child, whatever it might be, um, do they have you know the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ? Nope. 
No, they don't have that opportunity. And this is one of the reasons why, say, for instance, in the Roman Catholic Church, they invented the concept of um, sprinkling or baptizing unborn children because they're like, well, how are we going to deal with the, you know, the original sin that this child was born with? And and so they would, you know, baptize children as soon as they were born, or they baptize the womb if they were worried that the child wasn't going to survive. All of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. God is not unreasonable. You know, God is not sitting up there in heaven looking for ways to keep you out of heaven. He's looking for ways to bring you into heaven. Amen. And so in these kinds of circumstances, God's not going to... The Bible says another principle. We, we, read, we read it today in our encounter with God, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We're going to read here about how God's attitude towards things that we don't know. The Bible says, and the times of our ignorance. In other words, the things we don't know about, God winked at. He turned a blind eye to it. God does not hold you accountable for what you do not know. It's that simple when God judges. The other thing the Bible says is that when God makes up his book, in other words, his book of, uh, of the saved, he takes into account where a person is born. In other words, the circumstances under which they were born. Mm-hmm. So from all of this, this is what we find. Newborn babies don't need to ask for forgiveness of sins. They haven't committed any sins. They don't know what sin is. They don't even understand that context. Mm -hmm. God doesn't hold anyone accountable for anything that they don't know about. And this is why people don't get baptized until later when they're older. Exactly. When you can make an intelligent decision, yes, I want to give my life completely, totally uh, surrender to Jesus Christ. Mm Mm-hmm. And so when we put all these principles together here, we find that, yes, parents do have a very, very important role to play in raising their children to become servants of God. But God is not going to hold people accountable. You know, if God can save people who've never heard of Jesus Christ, yeah, and the Bible talks about that in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 6, Romans chapter 2, etc., if God can save people who have never heard about Jesus Christ and who were sinners, isn't it so much easier for him to save a young child who has not only never heard about Christ but has never heard about anything? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just, they've just been born. Um, so I think that um, you know, ultimately this is God's decision. It's not my job to say you know, God's going to save this person and he's going to condemn that person when it comes to children or otherwise or whoever it might be. That is in God's hands. But I do know this. The same principle applies. God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance or, in other words, come to salvation. And he's going to get as many of those children into heaven as he possibly can. So I guess almost if you're like a baby who has died young, it's almost like you get like a free pass to heaven, right? I, 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 you know, I, <laughs> I'm not God, okay? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the Bible is silent on this. But we can trust that God is love and God is we fair. We can trust that God is love and fair. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for answering that, Lyle. If you have a question, give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM is our number. It's 1-800-324-843. We will answer any question that you send through. Lyle loves to get curly questions. Send those questions in.
Guys, you're listening to Alison Krauss, Union Station, uh, with a living prayer here on Faith FM. And we have come to that part of the day where we are ready to give something away. So get ready to call 1-800-324-843 is our number or text us on 0491-064-669 for today's free offer is one of the most exciting free offers we have ever given away on the show. Exciting to me anyway. Yeah. Our boss just walked in and came in and dropped it off and was like, hey, do you want to give this away? And we're like, yes. This is brand new. This is brand spanking new. All right. So during our interview, of course, we were talking about hope and the importance of hope and then we moved on to our encounter with God where uh, Paul was talking about the resurrection and the hope that the resurrection brings and how powerful that is. Hope for the future. This DVD, documentary DVD, is called Kingdom Come, The History of Tomorrow. And if you want hope in your life, there is nothing that will give you greater hope than what this DVD right here is going to present to you. Kingdom Come is a historical documentary that examines the ancient examines an ancient biblical prophecy that gives substantial evidence that our planet is not alone in the universe Mm. and that our future does hold meaning. Kingdom Come takes viewers on a whirlwind journey through the mightiest kingdoms of antiquity, from the gold-drenched city of Babylon to the mighty metropolis of Rome, examining the courageous deeds of Alexander the Great and the blood-stained triumphs of Roman generals. Ultimately, the story climaxes in our day where we see that an ancient prophecy predicted the next move in our world's 
timeline. Kingdom Come reveals that the greatest event in human history is yet to take place and soon to take place. Oh, it's super exciting. It's just one of the greatest productions I've seen in in recent times. Honestly, it is. Oh, wonderful. Well, give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. First person through will get a copy. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week, Monday morning after the 7 o'clock news.
as I am Without one plea But that your blood was shed for me Now you bid me To come to thee of God I come just as I am and I am not waiting to rid my soul of sin and to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot O Lamb of God why come God 